Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation about adaptability. With the current state of the world, it could not be a more important topic of conversation. My guest is the incredible Lynn Kazali, and she recently told me that when we can change the way we do things, it changes what we can do. I give her a call to explore how becoming more adaptable can accelerate decisions, change, and outcomes. Do it live! Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, liftoff! Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Lynn Kazali is an international keynote speaker, multi-award-winning author, and master facilitator. She's the author of six books and soon to be seven, and her latest book, Ish, is all about our problem with the pursuit of perfection and the life-changing practice of good enough. She is masterful at helping you think better, make sense of information, and handle the realities of workplace overwhelm and information overload with all of her clever hacks and ingenious processes, tools, and methods. It's my absolute honor to have her with me on the phone today. Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Shane. Great to be here. I feel like this is a really relevant and timely conversation we're about to have because our world in many ways has been flipped upside down and kind of turned inside out for a lot of people. And today we're having a conversation around adaptability. And so I'm really looking forward to diving in. But for, before we do, let's get give people a chance to get to know you a bit better. So three questions. Mm-hmm. Where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do with yourself now? Yes. Well, I was born in Melbourne, Australia, uh, at the lovely Brighton Public Hospital right. many, many years ago, which was a tiny little hospital. And I have, of course, grown up in Melbourne, um, but lived in Singapore for a couple of years uh, right. in my early teens. So that was very impressionable on me. Okay. Um, what was the next question? My first Your job. Your first job, yeah. My first job, I worked in a like CD and record music store. What a uh, good and job. Was, oh, it was so good. In Australia, it was called Brashes, so uh, they're not around anymore. But people would come up to the front counter and go, hey, do you know this song? No, 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 no. And I'd go, yep. And I would reach over to the shelf and drag that album straight off. And they'd go, how do you know that? I go because I'm a you know music freak, love my music. So Brashes was a great job. You were like the, the that time's Shazam. Basically, people came in and they sang it to you. You were the Shazam of the yes. time. That's right. I was a human, real life Shazam, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was uh, it was such a busy time at Christmas. You know, you'd have four, five, six people deep at the counter. Um, throwing money at you, trying to get their their relatives, their favourite Christmas CDs and other CDs. So it was a a sliding doors moment. I could have headed off down that music retailing and and, uh, record label uh, work as a career, but instead I went with the more of a communications field. So Mm. now 
uh, now I run my own practice, uh, lincazaley.com, and I think and sell for uh, sell my ideas for a living. I so love it. And you've I got a million books sure. under your under your belt and, and all kinds of different topics. And um, you've written six books now, and you're you've got the seventh on the way. Is that right? Yes, yes. Because uh, the mentor once said to me, who was in that church, he said, "Lynn, write a book a year for ten years. It doesn't matter if it's." Self-published, publisher published, whatever it is, it gets you into this rhythm of, of working out what you think and putting it out there. And so I'm I'm trying to keep to that, yeah. that sort of Target. And you were very much um, someone who inspired me to write my book. I remember we were in a oh, session good. with you and it was yourself and it was Lisa O'Neill, um, another a good mutual friend, and um, yes. talking about like it's time to get this happening and get this done. And I remember yes. it was like lighting a fire under me and that kind of got my book out into the world and so it was right. very deeply inspiring for me. It's so good to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So what I'd love to, like, I mean, what some of the things that are, um, this is the world that we're living in. Our world is kind of flipped upside down, turned inside out and everyone has kind of been thrust into this new environment that we need to kind of adjust and adapt to. Like what are some of the things that you're noticing right now? Like your, what are your observations of the world that we're living in and the way that people are really trying to adapt? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of that forced adaptation. That yeah. there's, there's sometimes the willingness, you know, oh, I want to change. I want to give up smoking or run a, run a marathon. And so we change things about how we think or how we behave so that we can achieve whatever it is we want. But then there's the idea of that forced adaptation and forced change. And many people have experienced it in the workplace, you mm. know, when a, a new change plan comes in or an organisation changes the structure or a job role changes. Um, but here we've had this monumental change and changing things that were quite comfortable for people. You know, our, our regular habits have been changed. So we've been forced into adaptation. Yeah. And and despite that, that initial forcing, we have then, I think, people have adapted really well, really quickly, and mm. it kind of shows us that we are flexible and we are adaptable, but uh, it could be some of our own mindset that slows us down in other situations where we would like to change more readily. There's a story that we we often tell ourselves that um, it takes a lot longer for us to adapt to situations. I was talking to someone recently who said that they had a project in the pipeline that they had a 10-year time frame on. And then when everything wow. happened, they were saying, we're going to roll this out. It's going to take us 10 years to get this done. And they implemented within two weeks of, of when everything went into thing. And, and they just went, we didn't even think that that was possible, right? And do you think yeah. there's, this, yeah. there's this, what do you think are some of the barriers that get in the way of us um, of really kind of adapting to the environment, the situations that we find ourselves? Are there some blockers or the things that get in the way for us? Yeah, well, one of the areas I've looked at and I came up with 12 elements of adaptability, which I've spoken on in a number of forums and written about them. Mm. But one of them that helps, one thing that helps us adapt or one of the skills or capabilities is our ability to improvise. Mm. And we are really quite clever. We can make stuff up, you know, and we can put together some random ingredients from the fridge and make something. Um, we tell improvised stories and jokes and things when we're communicating with friends. So our ability to go with something rather than resist is a, a strong capability we already have to adapt. So uh, I think improvisation, our ability to make stuff up is very strong, 
But fighting that, we have an internal sensor. And um, Keith Johnston, who's a, the improvisation kind of godfather or guru, came up with the, the concept of theatre sports, that stage uh, competitive improvisation. Right. And, and he says, yeah, we have this incredible internal sensor that edits and uh, deletes things before we put our ideas out there. So we're, I think we're quite capable of adapting and changing, but our internal sensor will often step in and prevent us from from really bringing that improvised spirit to life. Mm. I think that's fascinating because I was having a conversation with uh, Michael Dixon and and he's written a book called Everyday Creative. And we were talking about this idea that the, the people held this assumption that I'm either a creative person or I'm not a creative person. And mm. we, we think that, okay, if I'm not creative, I can't do that. And would you think there's a, a similarity between the sense of I'm either adaptable as a person and I can improvise or no, I'm, I'm, I'm just stuck in my ways. I'm too rigid. Like, and that's just, you know, that's just me. Is there, you're saying there's this capacity to be adaptive and yes. Im- yeah, improvise? definitely. Yeah, and I think some of us have greater interest in changing things, you know, some of those concepts around whether we like things the same or different. So you ask someone where do they want to go for dinner and they might say they want to go to their favourite place which is one of the same places they go to mm. and they like to have the same things from the menu. Yet other people might go, oh, no, let's go to that new place because I'd really like to try it. There's that spirit, that sense of greater adventure mm. and uh, a greater risk rather than I'm going to go with the safe sameness that makes me feel comfortable. So I think, um, you know, travellers, a lot of the people who would normally be travelling at this time are feeling quite stifled. There's yeah. some people who are great adapters, right? They're able to work with different cultures, uh, navigate their way around cities. That that adventure is part of, of adapting to a local, uh, a local culture or customs, um, adapting to local foods, adapting to local time zones. Mm. Hey, jet lag, you know, we haven't even really been experiencing that. So we've got it and there's, I think, a, a number of other capabilities that help us bring it out, but being able to improvise is one of them. What do you think are some of the stories people tell themselves about not adapting to change or not stepping into that place of improvisation? Um, well, you mentioned one before about creativity and that, oh, I'm not creative, so if there's that requirement to come up with something. But I prefer to look at the word ingenuity, mm. which is our ability to make something using the resources we have. So we've seen great ingenuity from people setting up their home uh, workspaces, Uh, you know, people setting up ironing boards with (laughs) uh, boxes on them for standing desks Mm. and people who've taken prints off the wall and turned them around and turned them into whiteboards. So that's a resourcefulness and an ingenuity and that to me is a great um, element of adaptability versus someone who says, I can't do it because I don't have the exact thing. Mm. You know, I, I don't have a standing desk, so I can't stand versus someone who says, no, I'm going to put my laptop on the upturned laundry basket because it will it will get it up to the right height and instantly I've got a standing desk. So that using the resources you've got around you is, uh, I think, an element of adaptability. And the reverse then would be, no, I need this precise thing. So there's this kind of requirement or 
standard or expectation that they're wanting and they're quite locked on that and won't move, that ain't adaptable. Mm. You know? And that's not really that flexible ingenuity. You know, let me let me see what I've got around. What could I use? I really like that perspective on this because you you have this phrase which is um, changing the way you do things changes what you can do and I feel like you just mm. illustrated that idea there. We go well, I don't have the resources, so I can't do what I'd like to do. Well, it's actually mm. going well. Actually, what if I changed the way that I did things? What if I looked at it from a different perspective? That actually ultimately can shape the, the things that I do. Like, tell me a little bit more about it. like are you getting excited? People can't see that you are getting excited about that. I'm just pumping the air. I'm going yes, yes, yes. This is the thing. And that's that willingness to try something, you know, a willingness to take a little risk and and just see, ooh, maybe this will work. Yeah. You know? So um, a, a recent example, I saw someone writing a post about that they were looking for an app to do blah, 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 probably help them write a book or something. And so uh, that app Scrivener that a lot of uh, authors use to get their thoughts organised and to help them structure a book. But what this person was posting about this app was all the things that it couldn't do mm. and that they were really looking for a better app than that. So they were looking for something that would fit a prescription and their very defined brief. Mm. And I'm like, nah, that app don't exist yet. And like every app we've got on our phone, it may not be perfect, but here comes the ingenuity. How can you use it or how can you find a workaround that then makes it work for you and still makes it work quite well? It won't be the perfect app, but that's an example of someone going for a, a perfectionist outcome, not willing to, you know, adapt and mm. find a work find workarounds that will make the app still work for them. Yeah, I, I do a lot of work with Gallup and their strengths-based approach to development. And one of the 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 tenets of positive psychology, which is all that it's rooted in, is essentially to go, what would this look like to look at this through what I have rather than what I lack? And it's a, it's going, what are the resources and skills and things that I do have rather than uh, that could help me tackle this challenge that's in front of me rather than going, well, I don't have that, so I can't do this. And I, mm. I reckon you've touched mm. on this really nicely here. It's going, rather than looking at all the things that we don't have to accomplish what we'd like to achieve, going, what do I have and how could I use and combine what I have with some, maybe something else to actually achieve the same outcome that I was ultimately trying to achieve? Yeah, yeah this is the ultimate hack, right? It's the ultimate shortcut. But sometimes the hacking has to be done on yourself. Mm. But here's the resistance, right? Here's the um, unwillingness to, to change is I want the app to fit me versus how might I change something that I'm doing mm. uh, that will make this thing work, still work for me and work really well. Uh, and it, what you were just saying there about that, that strengths reminds me of that approach in, that I use often in facilitation, which is the appreciative inquiry mm. approach. Uh, it was one of the first AIs uh, before artificial intelligence <laughs> or artificial insemination. But the um, appreciative inquiry says let's look at what's working and appreciate that. Mm. And there's a whole community and a whole research body behind that on appreciative inquiry. There's a whole methodology that you can use to, you know, lead a group planning session or conduct performance reviews or do a strategic planning process. Instead of going, where is the lack? You know, we're here, we want to get there, let's close the gap, like such a typical model. Mm -hmm. Where are we? 
where do we want to get to? How will we get there? But maybe an alternate way of thinking is, you know, what are we absolutely nailing? And let's multiply that by 10. Let's do way more of it. Let's appreciate and, um, yeah, multiply the number of the, the, the great, that, the good that we're getting from this so it does indeed become great. Oh, I love that. And I, I was in a group even just this morning with a, a, you know, a community. And one of the first questions we ask ourselves to reflect on over the last quarter, quarter is, um, what are you most proud of? And I think mm. that one question just unlocks this incredible amount of pride in the work that you've been able to do and what you've been able to accomplish. And I think in many ways, there's people who are feeling like the time they're in at the moment is this huge opportunity lost and they're grieving potentially yeah. the loss of a lot of yeah. things. But I, I like the way that this you're reframing this around, okay, what is it that we, we can be proud of in this time? And what is it that we, we're actually doing really well and that we're nailing? And how can mm. we leverage that and actually use that? That's right. That's right. So it is a shift. There's the adaptation you're talking about that instead of uh, berating ourselves for what we haven't done or what the opportunity, opportunities we missed, um, I'm still, you know, working with some uh, clients in mentor in a mentoring capacity and they are still sort of waiting for things to return to normal. They yeah. haven't adapted. And, like, you know, we're now when you and I are talking, we're six months into this. And there's, that's plenty of time to have run some little experiments, mm. take a few little risks and start to stretch those risks out and see how can I keep making changes in, in that whole idea. Changing the way you do things changes what you can do. So if an old world isn't coming back to us, what what might we have to change or what might we have to hack in ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> Even even the idea is like what better time to break things than when everything's already broken, right? Yeah. <laughs> like if we test something now and it doesn't work, I mean, what better time? Better to do it now while everything's kind of falling mm. apart than to wait until we return to some sort of sense of normalcy to go yeah. like, well, now that everything's back on track, let's try and break some things. Like now's the That's best time right. to experiment that and is. try. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's giving us really weird lab conditions you know yeah. laboratory conditions are weird and we might not have this sort of experience again so uh, great time to try things but a great time to also question and challenge your own perfectionist mindset mm. because the perfectionist mindset would say it is not the right time to be doing xyz you know i need to wait until blah 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 conditions are such or i need to wait until something else changes before I, you know, we put these perfectionist conditions on our on our behaviours and decisions. But here, what, what we're saying right now, mm. you know what? Have a crack. Good Australian Australianism, yeah. you know, have a crack at it. See what happens. Put it out there. You know, mm. Try a little bit. Sample it. You know, there's a reason why people give samples because of it's a you know promotional technique that works, but it also works for us in, in that it's not such a huge risk. So um, one of the other elements I talk about is curiosity. So go, well, aren't you wondering yeah. what might be possible? Like, do you have no wonder or curiosity about that? Oh no, I like to make sure everything's set before. Oh, what a shame! Yeah, what a shame that that curiosity is not there. Uh, but you wonder what these conditions might create for you. 
in uh, in new clients, new programs, uh, new ways of people buying things, new pricing. Uh, that's that's an opportunity for curiosity. Yeah, I remember I was in a conversation recently um, with another kind of person that we both know, with Adam Voigt, and he was he was asking this question: yeah. is what what would it look like, or what will people get to the end of whatever this kind of next time frame is, and look back and say, I wish we'd had more of, or wish we'd done more of. And and I like the what you're talking about here. What would it look like to approach now through the curiosity of like. Mm. What, what could we do now and what could we try now and what could we break now and what could we learn now rather than getting to 18 months, two years' time, looking back and going, we had a real opportunity there and we feel like we've missed it. That's it. That's it. The lab, put your lab coat on. And yeah, go, I like wow, that. Let's, let's see what happens. And it, these don't have to be big experiments. And, and so experimentation is another one of the elements of adaptability is mm is not just a willingness to be curious or to improvise, but to go, I'm going to test this you know, hunch, as Jason Fox, uh, Dr. Jason Fox often talks about, that mm. that hunch, and he will stand there with his um, arms crossed and his finger stroking his uh, red beard on his face <laughs> going, I wonder, you know, I wonder what could happen. Yeah. And so this, this pursuit of a... A curiosity or um, a hunch is a, a great thing to do because mm. this then allows us to say, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And so for the control freaks out there, this is <laughs> quite vulnerable, right? Control freaks like to know what's going to happen and like to have control and tidiness and neatness and nothing messy. Mm. And an experiment is, is saying, oh, dude, there could be trips and falls during this. I better keep the heck away from that. But instead, it's it's the experiment that leads to you know, the possibility to adapt and try new things. Mm, I've always loved the idea of experimentation. And I, I often, when I'm working with coaching clients, I, I give them this phrase, which is a scientific idea of, of test, don't validate, which is this mm. idea we're out here to test a hypothesis, not to seek validation of it. And so whether mm. you're you know putting your ideas forward in a meeting, if you come in with the idea, I'm looking for validation of this idea, then the moment it gets shot down, you'll feel like you've failed. But if I'm mm. looking to test this, I'm looking to explore this, and, and all of a sudden now when someone says that doesn't work, you have another opportunity to kind of test again and try again. And this experimentation is so crucial right now um, mm. in, in a time mm. like this. It's, it's always important, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think we're seeing some leaders being more willing to experiment with some stuff and mm. realising that perhaps they have been holding on too tightly. That's the that's a sort of metaphor about not wanting to adapt or wanting to be a control freak of micromanaging people is mm. letting go a little and let's see what happens. It is an experiment and not an endless experiment. It's got a time period or a number of hours or a number of people and seeing what happens. So one other element of adaptability is visualisation. Mm. So instead of the experiment being done behind closed doors and hidden, it, make it visible, you know, be transparent with the pieces of this thing that are an experiment so that people know what's going on. And even that, mm. you know, the whole thing of transparency, what, you mean I have to show people this stuff that I'm working on? Yeah, yeah. So this connects into adaptability and perfectionism as well, is that mm. sometimes people don't like to share uh, what they're working on, or it's not 
ready yet. It's not ready yet. <laughs> we'll bring it so out. We'll I'm make going... it public and more visible when it's ready to go, right? And then you miss Correct. all out on all these facets of, of the learning experience of testing and experimenting and getting feedback and growing. And... Yes, you got it. You got it. That's, there's opportunity in there, not, not lack of control. Mm. It's, it's actually acceleration, you know, and, and discovery. And there's also, of course, the history of all of the accidental discoveries that mm. happened while people were doing, um, you know, experimentations on on Project A, and then they discovered that this thing actually solved Project B and Project C. So uh, this is the stuff we can't possibly know. Mm. Today I was writing on um, LinkedIn about discovery and that to, to bring a team together and say, well, let's have all we're doing today, let's have a discovery workshop and talk about what we don't know yet mm. rather than here's all the stuff that we do know. I like that you've touched on in this phrase here. It's, it's not a loss of control. It's the acceleration of discovery. Like that in itself, like, again, like if you're finding it hard to, to adjust or adapt or, or, or find yourself changing in this new environment, it can be this fear that maybe in the process of like discovering and experimenting and we're losing this sense of control, but really what we're doing is accelerating the opportunity to learn and grow and, and make progress. Mm. And in fact, we could get, let's say, greater control over some of the things that feel out of control. Oh, I like and that. It it could be it, it could be a delusion. This, this, <laughs> Potentially, you know, yeah. That, that I don't have control. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. You know what? What do you think you actually have control over? Uh, versus what if you let that bit go? How how might that change? How mm. might that impact a team? Or how might it impact what a customer is wanting? Um, but that's. That's part of the, you know, the creativity, the ingenuity in there, the yeah. curiosity of I wonder, um, the experimentation. These are all, all uh, capabilities that are wrapped up in um, how to adapt and how to change. It's, it's not about some single improvise, uh, inspirational quote from created in Canva <laughs> and shared on Instagram that says, you know, you can be whatever you want to freaking be. No, it's it's. They're, they're sometimes the the mindsets held by people who don't want things to change. Mm. Mm. So imagine let's like one of the things that I've loved about this conversation so far is we've, I reckon there's this incredibly strong case for for the decision to adapt and to change and to learn and to experiment and to improvise and to pull um, uh, old pieces together in new ways to create new outcomes. And I, I reckon there's a, there might be leaders who listen to it who are going, yes, yes, yes. And the people who, who are going, I'm not sure, probably hopefully by now would be on board. They're going, yes, but now I've got a team and I'm the adaptive, I'm the change-ready leader, but now I'm leading a team who are going, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Where are you taking us? Like, how do I as a leader now help others navigate that journey? Yeah, I think uncertainty is one of the big things that, that comes along with adaptability is, oh, great, yeah, you're going to ask me to change, but we've got no idea what is around the corner or up ahead. And this is where I like to use sense-making mm. and visualisation. So sense-making helps us see the deeper meaning of what's going on or what's being expressed, and it helps us then make some decisions about what we're going to do. So even though we don't know the answer to everything, we piece together what we can and make a decision based on that. 
Um, so on the topic of sense-making, it's, it's not solving uncertainty, but it's working out what we do know now. And there's been a lot of uh, great sense-making work done in healthcare generally, but we've kindly, kindly, kind of seen it in the pandemic as well, is that as more information comes to hand, we have greater certainty on it, on something. And then as more information comes to hand, we have more certainty and it goes on and on and on and on. Mm. And that's what it is. And as soon as you get onto the other side of some information, you look back and now you have hindsight. Yeah. But you don't get to enjoy the benefits of hindsight until you've done something or until you've made a decision. Mm. So coming back to that experimentation, you can you can sit there and not experiment, but you're not gonna not gonna know. Uncertainty will remain high. Mm. We can do an experiment, find out what happened. Connect the dots on that and make some sense. We can make a decision and then we can look back and go, wow, now we understand more of it. I think any time any of us look back on an old relationship, when we were in it, we couldn't see it. Yeah. And it's not until you get on the other side of it and maybe get some greater hindsight that you look back and go, oh, I was a fool or, oh, they were a jerk. Um, or, wow, wasn't that a great house we lived in? Or, oh, that was the best holiday ever. These are all reflections of hindsight and you can't get that unless you make a decision and and act on something. Mm. And, uh, and that leads you straight in. Do you reckon this is why leaders are often faced with making unpopular decisions? Because most of the time we're making decisions in the midst of uncertainty that other people don't really see uh, see, can't really see the decision until we kind of get on the other mm. side of it. We go back and we go, that's why we made that decision. Everyone goes, oh, like it, yeah. it, the lights go on. So sometimes this actually just needs leaders to take that first step in the midst of uncertainty. Yeah, and I think they can, as well as taking a step, is to paint whatever picture they can of what they do know or what they think might be up ahead. And mm. they don't need to know all those answers. But I love to use visualisation for that tool. So, uh, you know, the picture of a road, a winding road or a path going off into the distance is a good template to use to say, mm. this is where we are now, this is what we know. And now up ahead, we don't know what's there, but here's what we're planning to do. And leaving a meeting or running a presentation like that, just using the template or the metaphor of a road or path can be hugely reassuring to people because instead of that sense of, oh, that leader's got no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, actually they do have a bit of an idea and here it is. Yeah. You know, and here's a here's a picture of the idea. Uh, mm. Rather than trying to convince through emails and meetings and the endless verbal, 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 uh, but a picture, a map, which is a sense-making tool, is something that helps get people on board, decreases uh, that anxiety and decreases uncertainty. And you'll see people's shoulders drop, you know, instead of their shoulders being up around their ears mm. in tension, oh, is that what it is? You see people start to relax. So the leader may not know what's up ahead, but if they can um, make some sense of it, just yeah. connect a few dots, even the shorter term, like before you were talking about the longer 10-year horizon, yeah. our our horizon's a lot shorter now. So the road or the path 
it's um, a lot shorter. It's nice when we have those mental models or those mental metaphors that we can hold on to because we can relate at a personal level. So if we're driving mm. up a winding road, we can see up to the corner. We may not necessarily know what's around the other side of that, but at least yeah. I know that if the person driving the car goes, hey, we're going to go to that corner. When we get there, we're going to find out what happens. We're going to make the decision what happens next, but at least we've got some sort of clarity. Um, mm. And I, I've often said to people at the moment, when you can't give people certainty, you need to give people at least some sense of clarity, which is I, might, I don't yeah. have the answer to this, but at least I've got an idea and I've got a direction, which is kind of, I love what you're touching on here. It's like give people something and help them yeah. to be able to relate and visualize this and make sense of this so that we can kind of at That's least right. see that we're making progress. That's it. All of these are good things. Yeah. Uh, I was talking with a, with a CEO yesterday and they were wanting to um, communicate more about their, their change, strategic plan, of course, Things keep changing for them. And so we just worked out what were the four or five main messages of that strategic plan and how were they going to convey them. And mm. it's not, you know, I'll give you a tip, it's not dot points on freaking PowerPoint <laughs> slides, right? Oh, it's hallelujah not. to that. I, I, you, are, you are speaking <laughs> my language, Linkazetti. <laughs> so no one, that, do you, you just don't remember yeah. dot points from, from lists like that. So we came up with four key messages and went into a bit of detail on each of them so we could work out, well, what's the thing we're trying to communicate for each of these? And we made a model or shape for each message and now they've got something to share. So something that they can pre-prepare that's interesting, no dot points, but also something that that leader is going to draw live in their next team meeting. So they've got a flip chart. It's not fancy illustrations. It's a simple, straightforward, logical model. And that will work a treat with, uh, as you say, communicating clearly what we do know and where we're headed. And, of course, then we just keep updating. We keep updating it as we know more. I love the the visual the, the visual component of this. It just fits so well with the with the conversation that we're having. And I mean, if we're to kind of bring this conversation, I guess, into to close in in one sense, to get this adaptability right, like what's the real value that this brings? Like when we're adaptable people, when we're adaptable leaders, when we've got adaptable teams, what does this actually mean for organisations? What does this mean for leaders? Like, what's the value in all of this? Yeah, I think there's acceleration. So it's acceleration to decision. And then you get acceleration to um, achieving your strategy is that we're not faffing about uh, pacifying and and giving everybody hugs of, oh, they're there, the world's changing. It's, wow, the world's changing and here's what, you know, here's our response to it. Yeah. So there's lots of talk of resilience. I think there's uh, our not just our IQ and our EQ, but I was interviewed recently for an article about AQ, which is what's our adaptability quotient, you know, how adaptable are we yeah. really? And if you could measure that, that could become uh, a critical factor in the future for businesses wanting to make dramatic change and transformation. You know, have we got people who are capable of adapting? We can't wait for the laggards. We can't keep giving lots and lots of attention to the people who don't want to change. No, we've got now um, a workforce who are up for this, who they want to make rapid, uh, ingenious change and they want to be part of, of driving that 
not uh, not being a victim to it. That acceleration, the ability to be able to accelerate and move quickly. I mean, I, I grew up in Queensland and, and the sport that I grew up on was actually touch football, uh, very different mm. to Melbourne where we're living now. But yeah. one of the things that I remember a coach constantly drilling into you was to not stand flat-footed because every time you stand mm. flat-footed, you can't accelerate quickly, you can't move, you mm. can't you know go where you need to go. And like I, that's the picture that got into my head around this. Adaptability keeps everyone on that on their toes able to accelerate quickly move quickly adjust quickly adapt quickly yes um it's a really nice picture that i think that um this is what it's going to create in our organizations yeah and it comes back full circle to improvisation because that's one of the key moves uh, or positions that improvisers have which is weight forward mm. you know is that you you have your knees slightly bent and your your weight forward and your arms by your side and eyes open ready you're ready to go. If you're leaning back and your weight's back and your arms are crossed, yeah. that you're going to be off balance immediately, but you have to move. But as you say, on the front foot, weight forward, looking forward, eyes open, ready to go is... That, that sounds like the kind of team I'd like to lead and it sounds like the kind of leader I'd like to be, which I just think is so fantastic. And now if we were to kind of leave people with something, I mean, whether it's practical mm. or a bit of advice, like what are some of the big things that you would say to people right now to either encourage or, or practically from what we've talked about? Yeah, is to look at how you are adapting. You do anyway without knowing. So mm. you, you're adapting some of your little micro routines at home. Push it a little bit further. See what else you could change Um like I've been working with a team lately, and we're just changing our office around. We're just moving furniture oh, and getting getting different perspectives in our own space. Uh, so small changes, but it helps strengthen your own adaptability um, quotient. I love that. And when you change the way you do things, it changes what you can do, which is really the yeah. big conversation we've been having here. And I love, we've, we've, you've touched on just a few of the adaptability kind of skill sets that people need, the competencies mm. around that. You've got um, an adaptability program that has kind of 12 modules attached to it. Mm. And you've got it that's available at, at professional level for businesses, yeah. but also personally at, for people yeah. in the general public as well. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's about 12 elements of, of adaptability. So there's a module on each of those. Uh, and for some businesses, that's just slotting into their existing leadership development program. Mm. So I contribute something each month to that. And others like to wedge them together and we have like a three-day and we get through all 12 of them uh, so the team's equipped. Um, but individually, it's working with people one-on-one -on -one and going, okay, well, which of these 12 elements do we need? Yeah. You know, that it, it might not be all 12. It might, there might be three of them. You know, maybe that sense-making or a facilitation skill or greater curiosity might help them. Oh, Lynn, I always love having conversations with you. Always leaves me with so much to think about. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.